welcome to episode 30 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to stop that one guy's ridiculous victory dance that he does every time he wins a game. Come on, Bert, it has been 25 minutes and we've already finished another game without you. This week, we're talking about winning and losing. First, we discuss a few games we've played recently, like a handful of 18xx games, Between Two Cities, and Mintworks. Then, we're talking about how to be a gracious winner, how to handle a sore loser, even if that happens to be yourself, and why winning shouldn't always be your primary concern when playing a game. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word tie. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie, Cassidy, and me, Crystal. Last episode, I talked about HeavyCon, and I'm going to talk about some more games I played there. At HeavyCon, I got to play three different 18xx games. 1817. Shocking! <laughs> yeah, 1817, 1880 China, and 1857. I'm not going to go over the rules of the 18xx games, just the experience I had with them. If you want to hear about rules, you can hear, listen to episode 5, I think. That talks kind of about what 18xx games are. So 1817 is an epic 18xx game that's stock-heavy. And in that game, you can short sell shares of other people's corporations. So when we played, my husband Toby shorted all three of our companies. We were a four-player game. And so he got a bunch of money in one turn and started six companies at one time. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. And then you can also take a bunch of loans in 1817. So he took about a, out a bunch of loans and the interest rate, rate goes up when there's more loans. So the interest rate was really high and none of us could afford the loans. So we all went bankrupt except for one person who didn't start a company that turn and she didn't have any loans. So she won. <laughs> so that was a pretty <laughs> epic game. <laughs> so the other another one we played was 1880 China which I talked about a few episodes ago where I like communism and <laughs> in this game so communism <laughs> uh, communism lasted longer so I, I got a good and I was able to get a bunch of money from communism and actually another thing in 1880 China is that you can own 100% of your own company which doesn't happen in a lot of 18xx games normally there's a limit of how much you can own so the other players didn't believe in one of my companies, so I just bought out all the shares and got 100% ownership of that company. And I had multiple companies, so I just made the one that I had the most in better than my other ones. And so I was able to get a lot of money from that, which was kind of cool. And 1857 is a pretty quick game. Quick is relative, though. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Uh, this game that we played was 90 minutes. Oh, which is, is really quick I mean, for an 18xx. Quick. For 18xx, yes. <laughs> yeah, but it usually ends in bankruptcy because there's a really big train rush. There aren't that many trains in the game. So in the game, I was I started out two companies, and I was like, okay, I want to get them both to Chile because Chile is this place on the map where usually only one company can get there. But if you work together, you can get two companies there. And so I started the two that were close to it, and I was like, okay, my goal for the game is to get them both to Chile. And... One of my companies ended up getting a permanent train. I'm like, yay, but the other one did not. And I was like, oh no, I'm going to go bankrupt. But then I got my ass to Chile. So I was like, yes, I got my goal, but I'm going to go bankrupt. So, oh well. But then <laughs> I realized that I could make another player go bankrupt first because of the order that the companies go. So then like, as I realized, that, I was like, oh, if I make him go bankrupt, I'm going to win instead of going bankrupt. So 
I was able to do that, which is really exciting because that's the first time I've done that, I think. That's super cool. <laughs> 1857 is the game that I played with you at BlitzCon, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah. So that was my first 18xx game, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, those were the three 18xx games I played at HeavyCon. I just find it hilarious how much you enjoy communism. <laughs> like I'm never, I'm never getting over this. <laughs> it's funny every time. Like if every, somebody clipped every out time. part of our episode. <laughs> oh like, gosh. I hope not. <laughs> every time, it'll always make me laugh. That's okay. Again, I'm going to take it from an extremely heavy game to an extremely light game because that's just me, apparently. Today I'm going to talk about Between Two Cities, which is a Stonemaier game that came out in 2015. It plays one to seven players in roughly 20 to 30 minutes, just depending on how familiar everyone is with the rules of the game. This uh, was also a a Kickstarter game. This was actually the first Kickstarter game I ever backed. (laughs) Yay! So I'm glad it worked out and I got to have it and enjoyed it. Between Two Cities is a partner-driven tile drafting city building game. I think those are the simplest words I can use to describe it. That was pretty good. (laughs) To be fair, I stole some of that from Board Game Geek, so it's not all me. (laughs) Each player is building two cities between you and the players to your left and right. That's why it's called Between Two Cities. Makes sense. It's clever. So you and your partner to your left are building one city, and you and your partner to your right are building another city. The game is played through three rounds, where you'll draft tiles, then decide which city-building partner, um, or which city, that tile is going to go into. So you're going to draft two tiles on the first round and say, I've got these two tiles, these are the cities, Where do I, which city do I want them to go to? And you can discuss that with your gaming partners or with your city-building partners to determine the best course of action for, for those two cities. There are multiple types of tiles, so... In city building games, as as is the the norm, you've got factories, parks, houses, shops, a couple other different types of buildings like taverns and stuff. And each type of tile is going to give you victory points at the end of the game based off of their scoring ability. An example is shops gain you gain victory points for shops depending on them being in a consecutive straight line, which can be up to four because your city is going to be on a four by four grid. The max is four, so you'd get 16 points for having four of those in a row. Fewer points depending on how many. Even if it's only one, you get a point or two, I think. So that's not all bad. Each tile is placed in the same direction, so there's no flipping them upside down, no turning them sideways. Everything has to be facing the same direction. So on your first round, you're going to draw seven cards. Actually, first and third round, you're going to draw seven cards or tiles. Choose two and then pass to your left. Once everyone has done this and placed the tiles, there will be one tile left and that just gets discarded. Round two is a weird one where you're drawing these double tiles. So it's a big rectangle tile that actually has two buildings on it. So you'll each person will take three of those, choose two, one of those will each go, go into your cities. Once you've done all the drafting and you've built your city up, the end game is scoring those based off of the tiles you placed. The interesting part for me with this game is scoring. It's the hardest part of this game, I think, because each city scores, not player, each city scores. So the city has a fun little marker on it, 
and has a matching marker on the game board so you know which city is getting which points. You, as the player, then get victory points for those cities, but only your lowest scoring city counts. So your lowest scoring city is your final victory point. And whoever has the highest of that is going to win the game. This does end in ties a lot. <laughs> uh, the, so the, the key with that is you don't want to just focus on maybe the city to your left and get it ramped up and awesome and everything and then ignore the one on your right because the one on your right is then going to be your final score. So if it's only 12 points, it kind of sucks for you and you only have 12 <laughs> points. You're probably not going to win with that. <laughs> but I, I enjoy it as far as little tile placing city building games go. And I think I like this one a lot because of how quick it plays and how many players it supports. It is nice that it supports seven players. My good friend Kathy and I were both waiting for another game to finish up during our weekly meetup recently, and she pulled something out of her bag that looked like an Altoid 10 and asked if I wanted to try Mintworks. I had heard of this game before, but had never seen it played or played it myself. So I said yes, and we started up a two-player game. Mintworks was published in 2017 from 524 Labs. It was originally on Kickstarter in August of 2016. It plays anywhere from one to four players in about 20 minutes. Mintworks is a light worker placement game where all of your workers happen to look like little round mints. <laughs> and they are totally something that look, you just want to pop them in your mouth, but they're made of wood, so you shouldn't do that. <laughs> the goal of the game is to earn the most victory points, and end game is triggered once a player has earned at least seven points. A set of cards are placed out with various spots for workers to go on that can earn players more workers or plan cards that they can later build in front of them to earn additional bonuses and victory points. Um, you can also place workers to build the plans that are already in your hand, and there's some other various things as well. The game is incredibly simple, but it's absolutely lovely. The worker placement mechanic is distilled down to something really approachable that I think could be taught to anyone, gamers, non-gamers alike. And there's, But there's some really interesting strategic decisions to be made. And also it's the size of an Altoid 10. So it's tiny, it's really easy to port around in your pocket or your bag or wherever. And I honestly think that this is a game that could find a home in anyone's collection. If you like worker placement games and you want something with you that could kill 15, 20 minutes, this is a perfect choice for that. Also, you can get a copy of the game on Amazon for 15 bucks and it is definitely worth that price. So I give two thumbs up, two mints up, uh, it's a minty fresh two thumbs up to Mintworks. <laughs> this week's thematic segment, we are going to dive into what it means to be a winner or a loser in a game and how you should specifically handle situations where you are winning or losing uh, in, you know, polite society. If you don't want to be a jerk, <laughs> winning isn't Maybe everything. I want to be a jerk. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't actually want to do that. <laughs> I don't think. I think very few people want to be jerks, but all of us occasionally are. So it's it's, it's good yeah. to kind of take a step back and look at what causes those jerky behaviors, possibly, and figure out a way to make them not happen. So we can talk about winning first. What do you guys think it means 
to be a gracious winner in a board game. All I can think of is saying, well, I don't, if you're gracious, you don't do these things and you don't do these things. <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying not to, to do that. And let's think maybe one of the things of being a gracious winner is helping the other players realize what you did to get that victory to sort of help them play if they choose to play that game again in a very non-condescending way. <laughs> Be like, this is what I did. You didn't do anything wrong. Right. I just wanted to let you know that this is what I did and this was my thoughts while I was playing the game and maybe that would help them in future games. Yeah. If they're wanting to know about that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, if they want to know. If they don't want to know, then don't, and I, don't be a jerk. Yeah. yeah. I think being, being gracious also means not, excuse me, not having a very big celebration about your win. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ha, take like, that. <laughs> right. Like, you guys all suck is not an appropriate way to handle things when you win a game. But so. again, stuff like that always depends on the people you're playing with, too. Yeah. I mean, if you're playing yeah. with a... a a regular group people that you're comfortable with and you're familiar with and and it's it's been it was a tight game maybe and usually don't win i think you're allowed to have a big celebration not saying you guys suck or anything but like yeah i finally got i finally won a game i finally beat this guy that wins literally every game we ever play like i think i'd want to but again it's about the people you are playing with if i'm playing with new players i'm not going to do that exactly like if you're playing with your regular group of people and people who know you really well i think your behavior can be a little more out there so to speak whereas if you're playing with complete strangers at a convention that you need to kind of hold everything back emotionally because yeah. you don't know how other people are going to react to you yeah it might also depend on the type of game too because if it's a game that gets really emotional and like exciting then when someone wins of course they're going to be like yeah or like <laughs> right so i mean still you shouldn't say you suck or anything but you could be excited that you won even yeah, with strangers you, can, you should be like excited for yourself yeah. without rubbing it in yeah. for the other people so on the flip side how do you be a gracious loser don't sulk away from the table and pout <laughs> Oh man, I'm a I'm a habitual powder. <laughs> there yeah. there's a we played a game, this was a months ago, and one of the people that was playing just walked away from the table. Just just left the game. I mean he wasn't doing well, but he wasn't doing horribly and he just walked away and had oh, conversations like in the middle with of the game. People. Yeah. He eventually oh. came back and finished it, but it was it was really off putting. That's, I mean, because I would say if at the very end of a game, after everything's been wrapped up, if you are dealing with emotions that are not good, like if you are really have been soured by the fact that you lost, I would say getting up and walking away from the table could potentially be a good thing. So you don't have spread that negativity to the other people. But in the middle of a game, that's just poor yeah. sportsmanship. Yeah. I generally, I say that I don't care, care whether I win or lose a game. But I, I do to some extent. Like, I don't, I'm not the type that has to win at all costs. And not winning doesn't necessarily always upset me. But I, I don't like coming in last. That's what bothers me more than anything else. I think the two things that bother me the most are either coming in last place, especially if it's by a large margin, because then I know that I played suboptimally. So I'm not necessarily mad at the other players, but I'm mad at myself. 
Or the other thing that bothers me a lot is getting second place by, like, the slimmest of margins. <laughs> like, one point difference between first and second. Oh, my God, that's so frustrating. Because then I know I was just right there, and it could have been one tiny decision I made throughout the course yeah. of the game that changed everything. That happened to me a couple weeks ago. I lost by one point. One point. Yeah. I was so, so mad. Especially when you know the decision you could have made. Like, if I had just done oh. this on the last turn instead. Right. <laughs> I was literally, I was literally like, are you kidding me right now? Like, one point. I was, oh, man. So I think... It's probably like if you're if you lose a game that maybe rather than immediately focusing on what you did wrong, maybe it's good to congratulate the winning player mm-hmm. and like show positivity toward them in that first instant to kind of help temper your own, you know, bad feelings or whatever. But if you are having a moment where you really are in a crummy mood as a result of it, like I said earlier, Taking a break, getting up away from the table, something like that um, can be a good thing. Because if you know that you're going to be sour about something, obviously your interactions with other people are going to be more negative as a result of that. So trying to avoid situations like that can be good. Mm -hmm. So what if someone else at your table, not you, but someone else is being a sore loser? So Cassidy, you kind of already touched on that with the guy who got up in the middle of the game. Yeah. But how do you handle situations like that where you're in the middle of a game or you're at the end of a game? I think middle is a little more apt. And someone knows that they're losing and is not handling it well. How obviously this well, is very I've definitely situational. been that person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like what can, uh, what can people do to help alleviate that situation or improve it? Obviously, this is based, you know, different players are different and this is not going to be a one size fits all kind of a thing. But what do you think some strategies are for helping, you know, release the pressure in a situation like that? A humor. No, that's <laughs> good. Lighten, lighten the mood. I don't, I have a hard time when, when I know I'm not doing well in a game and people can see it. Cause I don't, I don't hide how I feel well. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I have a hard time when people try to tell me what I should be doing. Like, because I'm obviously doing something wrong and I get that they're just trying to be helpful, but depending on the game, I don't, I don't really want input on what I should be doing better. I want to figure it out myself because I'm more mad. At, like you said, I'm more mad at myself than than anything else. But in other games, like I'll ask, I'll ask for help. Like, hey, what do you what do you think of this? Me doing this or me doing this? But I don't really want to be explained to the game when it's something I already know. I think that's definitely something well. that's based on the player. Like, I think if someone's struggling, if you wanted to ask them, like, hey, do you want any help? Or something like that. And if they say no, you respect their wishes and you let them make their decision on their own. But if a player is struggling, especially if they're, you know, new to gaming or new to a specific game and they really are just kind of locked up with AP or just frustration Mm -hmm. in general, it's not necessarily a bad thing to offer help, but you should definitely not force it upon them. Yeah. I think really the kind of the main point that not just, you know, when you're winning or you're losing, I think... You kind of have to take a step back and always remember that it sounds cliche, but it's just a game. And it really is. No, no. I mean, as far, at least in my game group, I don't know if anybody else is putting real money in on things, but generally there's no money at stake. No one's, if you get trapped in the temple, your life is not actually going to be lost. (laughs) The stakes are really not that high. And obviously we as gamers, you know, we like the competition and we like 
that feeling of victory. But after the fact, especially if you're playing with your friends, these are people that you still want to have relationships with. And I think that keeping those relationships strong and positive is more important than winning at, mm-hmm. all, at, in, at any time. Winning Absolutely. is never more important than that. Yeah. So uh, I actually have a trick that I use. This is kind of related. So when I'm teaching a game that I am really familiar with to a group of people who are not at all familiar with it, learning it for the first time, I don't think, I don't like making the active decision to play suboptimally because I think that that is, it's not cheating per se, but it's, it doesn't really feel right to me. But what I will do is if I'm playing with uh, players that are new to a game, I will try to make decisions faster than I normally would in that game. So what I'll, so generally that will cause me to potentially make suboptimal decisions because I won't, won't have puzzled out what the right decision is, but I'm not choosing the suboptimal one intentionally. So like if there's a good option, a couple medium options and a bad option, maybe I won't figure out what the best one is. I'll just pick a little more quickly. Like uh, when I played King Domino, when I was in Kansas City recently with my husband and my mom, neither of them had played the game before. And I was literally like putting my thing on tiles like super fast. I was just picking which (laughs) tile I was going to go for. And they both kicked my butt so hard. (laughs) And I love King Domino and I think I'm pretty good at it now. But yeah, they both kicked my butts. My butts? I have multiple butts now, apparently. (laughs) All of the butts. Um, So I think that that, if you are playing with new players, it's definitely good to not just wail on them. If you are good at a game, because causing someone to lose that badly, I think can turn them off from gaming too. Mm -hmm. Because if they're new to gaming or to a game you might decrease their enjoyment of the experience. And so it's sometimes good to not go easy on them per se, but to just not, you know, barrel them over either. Yeah. (laughs) I think another thing that helps if it's like a complex game is, and if they're open to it, is helping them like understand what different decisions will do or like what different strategies are open to them or something. Like, I guess 18xx games are probably one of the more complex games. And it is, that's a super good example, Ambie, because <laughs> yeah. your husband, Toby, is absolutely yeah. the best at doing yeah. that. It is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I think Toby's a really I don't think good I could have played that game at all, like without Toby's help. <laughs> I won the game that we played, and I still don't feel like I quite understand how I did that. <laughs> because Toby was so good about, and he didn't force anything on me but if I asked he like I would say okay I'm considering this and this which one would you recommend potentially and he would give me advice so he wasn't making decisions for me mm-hmm. but he was just kind of like helping me parse out giving what you my options decisions were. yeah mm-hmm. and it was really lovely and it made my first 18xx experience way better I think yeah <laughs> I have a habit when I'm teaching games especially to new players where I in a situation they're in, I will give them examples of what I've done in that situation in the past. Like, one time I did this, and this is what happened. And the other time I did this, and this is what happened. So, you know, if you want to try one of those, that's cool. Oh, that's a good way of handling <laughs> mm-hmm. it. Like, not saying you should do this, but, hey, in the past, I've done that thing. Yeah. And this is what happened. <laughs> yeah. Because it's hard uh, with new games to sometimes know what the consequences of your action are 
And a lot of the games that I enjoy a lot are light games that have deep strategy. Mm-hmm. Stuff like King Domino. It's really simple to learn that game, but getting good at it isn't immediately something that you can do. It's The strategies kind of emerge as you play it more and more. Your first time play can be really frustrating of specific games because you just don't have any idea what the good strategies are and you just have to play it to find them. So basically, whether you're winning or whether you're losing, you should always attempt to stay positive and be kind to everyone at the table. Whether And even if they're being, you know, a bad winner or a bad loser per se, uh, you shouldn't dwell on that kind of stuff. And if a bad situation happens, just attempt to move past it. And I think that's all you can kind of do. So Cassidy just got back from Origins uh, as of the date of this episode's release, but since we're recording before Origins, she wasn't able to give us a con report quite yet, but I'm sure that we will be hearing from her in the near future. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And as of the date of this episode releasing, it will be less than two weeks until Ambie and I go to Dice Tower Con in Florida. (laughs) I'm I'm so excited. I haven't been to Florida since I was a teenager, so I'm really excited. And you guys so, are going to be in the correct time zone. Oh my gosh, we correct. will be in Eastern time. <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> I I don't know if we'll be doing any live streaming or recording oh. or anything like that while we're at the con, but it's five days. I feel like we might be able to fit that in at some point. So uh, as of July 5th, keep an eye on our social media channels and all of that good stuff. And you might hear from us. But if you are attending Dice Tower Con, please, please, please seek us out, find us, uh, give us a high five or a fist bump or a hug or whatever your greeting of choice is. I I know Ambie is a little bit more introverted than I am, but I'm a super big extrovert, so <laughs> I will be... S- I, I will fangirl over you as a listener of our podcast because... I, I still I can. do that too. <laughs> yeah, like, I get super excited when people... <laughs> I got my, my voice was recognized once at a game cafe here in Vegas and that blew my mind. So uh, please come up and say hi to us. Uh, if you'd like to play a game with us, then, you know, maybe we can try and work that out. Obviously no guarantees, but especially shoot, if you like 18 XX games, you come talk to Ambie. I will, <laughs> I will bet she will find a way to get, make that happen. So hopefully we will see some of you in a couple of weeks and our next episode will be releasing the second day of Dice Tower Con so look for that as well. And I'm terrible with like names and faces. So I'm sorry if I don't remember who you are, if you come up to me. We'll have name tags at least. Yeah, That'll help. I always look at them. <laughs> for this week's etymology segment, I'm going to be looking at the origins of the word tie. Since we've already looked at the origins of win and lose, I figured let's split the difference and talk about tie. Tie comes from the Old English word teague, meaning cord, band, thong, fetter, or literally that with which anything is tied. That word then stems from the Proto-Germanic taugo, which itself finds its roots in the Proto-Indo-European root duke, D-E-U-K, meaning to lead. 
So the figurative sense of the word tie was first used in the 1550s. The definition meaning a cravat or necktie uh, was first recorded in 1761. The railway sense of a crossbeam between or beneath rails to keep them in place is from 1857. And the definition that applies a little bit more relevantly to our discussion today, where it means equality between competitors, was first used in the 1670s from the notion of a connecting link. The term tiebreaker was not used until 1938. So that one's pretty modern. Maybe the next time you play a game that doesn't have a clear tiebreaker, you can talk your way into a win simply by knowing the origins of the word tie. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. To support our show financially for as little as $1 a month, visit Patreon.com slash BoardGameBlitz. Our patrons get a lot of benefits, including access to our private Slack channel, where you can chat with us directly anytime. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out all the other shows in the network by visiting Dicetowernetwork.com. Until next time. All we do is blitz, 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 no matter what. Got meeples on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up into game night, everybody's smiles go up. And they stay there. Bye, everyone. 